Hello, everyone. I'm glad to be here with you today. Junior Church, guess what? There's no Junior Church. You need to get a bulletin and fill that out during the sermon, and then you'll get your piece of candy at the end. Today we're going to be in chapter 13, Psalm 13, if you want to go ahead and turn there. We're going to just jump right in. This is considered a song or psalm of lament, a psalm of sorrow. It is one attributed to King David. Now, real quick, who is King David? He started out as a shepherd boy back in 1 Samuel. David confronted a giant named Goliath, beat him with one little rock. David became, after that, a hero. He started killing more in the wars and became king. He set up the capital of Jerusalem. He unified the people, and basically he expanded the whole kingdom um, throughout the Middle East. All this is through King David. He was a skilled musician. Um, he was a warrior. He led his people in the battle. We know he was a politician. He was an administrator. But David was also a poet. What we know that is most important is David was a man who loved God. And David is a man after God's own heart. We see this intense love of God in the Psalms. We're going to see through this, you've seen them praise Psalms. We've seen those high and lofty prayer songs in the book of Psalms, where he's singing these praises to his creator, and he's, he's elevating who God is, and he's proclaiming it loud. But we also see these in the Psalms where David is sort of in a pit, in a dark pit. And we're going to see this in Psalm 13 today, in our Psalm today. Uh, what is nice about this particular Psalm is that it's easily broke down into three key parts. And as I was looking at this, it's six verses, and I thought... I might get him a short sermon. So that is kind of my goal today. Be ready for failure. Okay. So, but it's broke out into three key parts. And the first part we're going to call the complaint. We don't like complainers. I, I watch videos of people who are constantly complaining about dumb things, and we just can't stand complainers. How many times are we complainers? to God. Look at this. There are legitimate times for complaints, and then there's bad times of complaints. Look what David did here. Verses 1 and 2. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Now, first off, when we complain, generally, don't we blow things out of proportion? You know, if you've been told that you've been doing it, you've been doing this a million times. Well, it's been five, okay? But when we complain, we, we over-exaggerate. I think that's what David's doing here. So we got to break it down. And if you look truly, what is the complaint here? What is he feeling? Why is he doing this? And, and I think David is feeling alienated. He's feeling alone. He's feeling forgotten by God. Is he truly forgotten by God? Absolutely not. But in this pit, he feels like he is. Four times in these first two verses, he asks the question, how long? And when you go on a long vacation and kids are sitting in the car, what do they always say? Are we there yet? They're really saying, how long are we going to be here? They're tired of it. They're tired because they can't see the destination. They can't see where we're actually going. And so, they're, are we there yet? How long do we have to be here? That's what David's doing. In this pit, he cannot see 
the outcome. How long? He asked that question, oh, how long, O oh Lord, will you, will you forget me forever? Um, sometimes we try to embellish and exaggerate, as I said earlier, to make a point. We want to prove why our exaggerated complaint makes sense. Um, this particular psalm is not like some of the more flowery, sentimental psalms, like Psalm 23. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. That's very poetic and flowing. This one is not that way. I think Psalm 13 is raw emotion. He is pouring it out. He is basically venting it all together. How long are you going to forget me, God? When he asks, how long will you hide your face from me? In the Old Testament, the idea of God hiding his face was the meaning of alienation. That means God turned away from you because you were wicked, you were evil, you had turned away from God. And so now he's saying, God, I'm turning to you, but yet, how long will you turn away from me? I need you back. I need your face on. He is feeling alone. Not only that, David also has some inner turmoil here. You can see this because he says, how long must I wrestle with my soul, with my thoughts? The literal meaning behind this is how long must I carry a conversation with myself? Now, when I read that, that's what the Hebrew means. How long do I have to talk to myself about this issue? Now, when we get to where we're complaining, we start complaining to ourselves. We have a problem when we answer. Right? If you start answering your complaints and making it worse, that's what he's doing. But how many times have we wrestled with something mentally, emotionally? We're wrestling with this idea. That's what King David is doing. And because of that, I think I can honestly say, because of how he writes this, I think this means King David is severely depressed at this moment. He's in a spiritual, mental, and emotional hole. He probably didn't feel like getting out of bed even. He, how long am I going to have to struggle with this? He was downright depressed. And, and then he even says, how long will my enemy triumph? He's even pointing, not only am I wrestling, but my enemies are triumphing over me. When you're in that pit, it's almost like they're standing at the top, looking down, laughing. And that's what he's saying. I am alone down here, God, and I am tired of it. That's first two verses. The second part we're going to look at is the request. Look at verse 3 and 4. Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. There are three things we can see right away here. David says three things. He says, answer me. Restore me and don't let the enemies win. Answer me, fix me, restore me, make me better again, and don't let my enemies win. He says, give light to my eyes. If you look at David, he's feeling alienated, and then he wants the blessing of God brightly shining in his eyes. If God looks at you and shines his face upon you, that means it's a good thing, and that would be reflected in your eyes. That's why he's saying, return the sparkle to my eyes. Return the light, which means you are shining on me. The priests were supposed to give a blessing back then. In Numbers chapter 6, it says this. This is what a priest would say to you. 
May the Lord bless you and protect you. We're used to that. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. I like that. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Right here, it says, when God turns his face towards you, it's a good thing. When he turns and shows um, shows his favor on you, that has the implication of he is looking on you with joy. And that joy would shine upon you. It means a blessing. It means peace. It means safety and security. And David is saying, look at me so I can have that again. I need to hear from you, God. And he even said, I need to hear from you or I'm going to die. At this point, in his mental, emotional, spiritual depression, he knows the only way to get out of this pit is God. I need to hear from you. Give light to my eyes again. So when he has the light of God coming in, he knows it's going to bring out the truth and he's going to see things better. Paul talks about the eyes of our hearts. I mean, kind of like what Paul say, or uh, David's saying here, Ephesians 1.18, Paul says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul is praying a similar prayer that these people would have the light of God shining in their eyes. When you see this mother who is, you know, about to pop, she's pregnant, they have that mother glow, right? That's what you say. Because you can just see it in their face and their eyes and everything. When you see some young person who's in love, don't their eyes just kind of like, especially when that other person walks in the room, you know, they're just like, hmm. There's that sparkle in their eyes when they see it. That's what David is trying to say here. I miss seeing you, God, and I need that sparkle to come into my eyes. When we feel alienated, when we feel very far from God, it crushes you. He is feeling crushed right here, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And when we are depressed like that, it affects our physical health. He says, return to me, come back to me, or I am going to die. Is he over-exaggerating here? Probably a little bit. But in the midst of this... He knows that without God, he's going to die. How many of you have been like that? You've been in that pit. You just want God to answer you. And you cry out, answer me. How long are you going to turn away from me? Why am I still in the darkness? Please, God. That's what David is feeling here. What we have here in the first four verses, we have a picture of an isolated, desperate, depressed and frustrated person. Thankfully, there's two more verses. We had the complaint. We have the request. Now we're going to read all of Psalm because you've got to hear this before we get to verse 5. So let's start again. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. And here's where it shifts. Notice the change in the next few verses. Verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. 
My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. We had the complaint. We had the request. And here it's a totally different change. This is what we're going to call trust. This part of the verse is trust. It's a totally different direction. It's a totally different feel in the psalm on these last two verses. Out of the blue, David looks like he's going to die. He's depressed and all that, but he goes, but I will trust in you. It's like he gets some revelation or a glimmer of hope. I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices. I will sing. Where did that come from? How can you be in the pit and sing rejoiceful songs? That's a very quick shift. And if you've ever suffered with depression, if you've suffered with strong anxiety, it's a very difficult to go from the depth, a dark pit of the soul and despair to all of a sudden saying, I'll trust and I'll rejoice in you. I'm going to take a little sidestep right now. Many well-intentioned people try to help people who are in the pit of despair, of dis- uh, depression, anxiety. And a very common phrase that well-intentioned people who love these other people will say is, well, just think about the joys. Uh, focus on the happy things. Just change your thinking. If you had said something of this nature to somebody who is dealing with depression, I want to tell you something. That doesn't work. In fact, it makes it worse. That phrase makes as much sense in a depressed mind as me coming up to somebody who has glasses on and saying, if you just think clearer thoughts, you'll see better. It doesn't work that way. Well, just focus harder. When your eyes are broken, you can't see without that help. And somebody who is in this strong, deep pit cannot just, oh, I'll be happy. And so we cannot say that, okay? As a little side note, don't tell them that. When you tell them, just be happy, you are telling them you're failing. And because you can't think of happy thoughts, you're going to keep failing. And because you're not happy, you're a failure. That's how it translates. So don't, please, don't say that to people, okay? You cannot turn off depression like a light switch, It is a lot more than just positive thinking. David didn't start thinking happy thoughts here. He was in the pit. He was saying, I'm alone, I'm desperate. He was looking around and he saw nothing. But David turned his focus, not to happy thoughts, but to truths. And that's a big difference. He chose to trust in God's unfailing love. Notice he said, God, how long will you forget me? He's feeling forgotten. But yet I trust in your unfailing love. I don't feel it. I don't see it. I can't tell if it's there. But I will trust in it. My heart will rejoice in your salvation, even though right now I can't even see it. My my, um, enemies are going to triumph over me. But I will trust. Choose to trust in you. He chose this part. The key, there's a key theme in the Bible. It is all about God's unfailing love. From the very beginning of Genesis all the way to Revelation, it is one long story of God's faithfulness and his unfailing love to failing people. 
No matter how ugly the situation is, it we are in. Nothing can separate us from God. And that's what David is saying here. I know I'm down here and I can't feel it, but I will trust in you, God. I will trust that in the greatness of God, that God, you are going to open up the floodgates and I'm finally going to know and experience your grace, your mercy, your justice, and your kindness again. I can't see it, but I will trust in it. And that's why David could rejoice in the midst of that pit. Rejoice in salvation. When we think about salvation, I, I did a little bit on this. We think about getting saved. When I read that, that's the first thing I thought. But as I was reading about um, the commentaries about this, we think about avoiding the fires of hell. But in the Old Testament time, they thought of salvation as complete healing, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Full salvation meant everything was better. The nation, the world, the country, everything was part of salvation. Everything was going to be brought back to the place it was supposed to have been in the beginning of creation. And so in that moment, David is choosing to rejoice in purity and salvation of what God truly designed. Will David ever experience that on this side of the grave? No. But he chose to trust in it and rejoice in that. The king is proclaiming this. Look what it said, verse 6. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. The king is singing here. There are men in churches, even in this church, across the country that say, I'm not singing. That's just not the kind of man I am. I've seen family members that during this time, they're just, oh yeah, I love God. And I do this a lot because I want you to make sure you understand this. Somehow, throughout our culture, we've gotten the idea that singing is more feminine. And I'm a manly man, so I am not going to sing. That's kind of the idea of it. David is a warrior. He took down a giant with a slingshot. He took a sword and cut his head off. Do you think that's manly? King Saul killed thousands. He killed ten thousands. I'd say he's a warrior. He's pretty manly. He was also a lover. He was handsome. He was... Did somebody say you? <laughs> he, <laughs> that was Thank you for that. I like that. He was manly in that aspect too. He was a shepherd, and what did a shepherd do? They worked. They fought off the enemy. They were the ones that had the scars from the bears and the lions who were trying to eat their sheep. These guys were rough and tough. They weren't the office workers. These were real manly men, okay? King David, a very masculine man, he sang publicly for God. When you sing praises to God, you are expressing your manhood the way God desired you to be. Amen? I'm really, ladies, most of you are great at this, and I don't care if you can sing properly. That's not the point. There are some people in this room that when you sing, it kind of twists the spine of people who know music. Because you're off. Jesse's like, that's me. 
But he doesn't say make a joyful, beautiful sound. He just said make a joyful noise. And men, it is time to take up the mantle of masculinity, true masculinity, and actually show the world what it means to be a lover of God and a lover of his people. And that takes real emotion. If a king could do it, if he can be a manly, masculine, savior king, or warrior king, if a king can do it, I think you and I should be able to do it as well. Okay? So if any of you ever had the thought, well, singing's below me. You must be better than David. And I know I'm not. David, why he could do this, he is seeing a pattern in his life. He looks back, and in the midst of the pit, he chooses to take the focus off this pit, and he looks back and he sees these patterns of goodness. He sees the pattern of God working in his life, and that's what he based his trust on. He knows right now he can't figure it out, but he knows that even though he's in this pit, God always comes through. He could point at it in his life. And so because of that fact, he's going to worship him. That's Psalm 13. We looked at the complaint, the request, and then the trust. And it's a very good psalm, and it leaves us with a couple questions. The obvious question is, what was David going through? What was he going through that made him in such a pit? And so I read lots of commentaries and read some other sermons, and guess what it is? I have no idea. We don't know. Okay, nobody knows. We don't know who the enemy is. We don't know what the bad news is. Or we don't know what's going on. And that's bad news for scholars, but guess what the good news is for us then? While we don't know what was going on, we can see how this affects us in a very general way. It's not the circumstance, it's what he was feeling and going through at this moment. This psalm is very weird because it's very generic. While we don't know what's going on, whether it was physical, whether it was sickness. It's bad news for the scholars, but good news. This means the psalm can be a template. It is a template that we can apply to any situation in our life. Some of you are going through some very tough challenges in your life. Some of you can identify with that pit. You've been there, you think the enemy's gloating, you, you think people have turned away, you think God is alienated and no longer looking on you, and you're saying, how long? How long, God, are you going to forget me? How long are you going to allow this? How long are you going to let my brain wrestle with these thoughts and keep me awake all night? How long are you going to keep me in this depressed state? How long is that re enemy going to be there? How long is this relationship, this financial thing, what, whatever it is, how long is it going to win over me? We've been there. I've been there. We've struggled in this arena. We've all come to God with complaints. Looking at the template, what do we need to do then? Shift from the complaints to the request. Lord, look at me. I'm here. Basically, hey, you, you ever seen a mom or dad when they're really busy and, and the kids, are, it's usually at church because we're all talking in that, and then the kids are like, mom, mom, mom. I found a great way to get my mom's attention. Kids don't do this because it hurt me later on. So after a few hundred moms, she didn't turn, I went, Pat, whoa, <laughs> got her attention. And I got some attention. 
I got spanked. You don't disrespect your mother like that. But I kept wanting to just call out, and I think that's what, hey, hey. Sometimes when we do that, we need to remember that we've got to come to him in a respectful way of, God, please hear me. I need to hear from you. I don't care where it comes from. I just need to hear it from you. Then you can go on to give me some light here, God. I, I don't care if, God, if you speak to me through a sermon, through a song, through a butterfly. Just speak to me so I can hear you once again. Shed your light on me. I'll take anything. Notice the request changes from the complaint, and it's really the request, God, just come back to me. Let me come back to you. It's a cry back for union with God. Do you see how those verses can serve as a template in your situation? It doesn't matter where you are, what you're dealing with. How can you go from complaint to request? We can see the psalm here as a template, but it also teaches us other things. Because then it leads you to the trust. But what I noticed here, the first thing, the key is God can deal with our honest prayers. David said, how long are you going to forget me, God? Isn't that kind of audacious to think that God has forgotten him? But what he's doing is this raw emotions. And let's just be truthful. Aren't there so many times when we're praying we're only semi-honest? We don't say the whole truth, especially when it's in front of people. We don't, we don't want to admit where we're struggling, or we don't want to admit our raw emotions. So we just kind of breeze over it and thank you for this day. Oh, God, we praise you for this. Really? You, you feel like that? We, we need to be honest. Let it go. Unleash, vent. And I think what this template is saying is God can handle it. Isn't that great that God can handle it? You're thinking, God, I just don't feel comfortable. I have all this chaos going in my brain. I, I feel like I have to settle down before I get into some meditative state before you'll hear me. And God says, no, come to me now in the chaos. Come to me now in the pit. Bring me into that chaos, and then I'll show you a way out. Because if we're trying to get ready and fix things, then what we're really saying is we don't need you, God. If we try to fix our hole before we go to God, we don't need God. Which explains why so many of us keep getting stuck in our pits. We need to learn it's okay to be honest, fully honest, open in our prayers. God can handle it. And I think a key thing we learn here is that it's so applicable that we miss out on it. I really didn't even get it until this week, is that the Christian, and I've known this, but... I keep forgetting it. Christian reality is, even though you're a Christian, you walk the Christian life, you go through everything like that, you live in a paradox many times. A paradox is two things that seem contradictory but actually contain an element of truth together. And what we see in this particular psalm is a Christian can often experience total isolation from God. David is right here. He is feeling totally isolated, alienated, alone from God. Total abandonment. And yet, at the same time, he's feeling that total abandonment, isolation. He can feel the arms of God surrounding him. 
That's that paradox. Because I can feel totally alone and isolated from God, and yet, when I look at the trust aspect, I can know God is wrapping his arms around me. That's a paradox. People don't get that. An unbeliever cannot figure that out. How can you feel one minute God is nowhere in sight and the next his arms are wrapped around you? The only explanation is the gospel. It's the only explanation. Basically, the explanation is found at the cross of Christ. I was isolated from God because of my sins, and yet his arms stretched out so he could envelop me and hold me to him. The most terrible thing that could have happened for, was for God himself to die on the cross for me, for something he didn't deserve. Remember Jesus' words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken, turned away? Talk about a pit. We have this forsaken, this alienation that was experienced by Christ, but on the same way, on that same cross, we have reconciliation, we have wrapping around this paradox, this, this good and the bad, the sun and the moon, the rain and the, the daylight, it all falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. When things happen in the world like accidents, broken relationships, justice issues, financial things, Christians should process them a little bit differently. When bad things happen to an unbeliever, they try to reason it. They try to map it out and figure out what happened so I don't let that happen again. And, and then they can chuck it up. If they can't figure out, well, it's just fate. It's just destiny. It's just bad karma. We try to make sense of that. You run out of gas? Well, that means I need to check the gas gauge or fix it. Okay? If I'm out of money, well, that means I need to quit buying candy or, or subscriptions to things. A lot of the basic challenges in life can be fixed that way, but there's something more. When problems come to our life that make no sense, what do you do? After years, your spouse leaves you. You've lost a child in a car accident. The tornado sweeps through an area and wipes out an entire town. How do you reason these bad things? And what you realize is this isolation is that you are alone, you don't know what to do with it, and you cannot reason it away. You can rely on what the ancients would call it, the cruel fates. Maybe it's some gigantic force or some gods or goddesses out there directing things. Unfortunately, those gods and goddesses are never going to be on your side. Ancient people were terrified of the idea of the fates. Because they knew an outcome was on them. Well, if the fates are in good mood, then you're going to have good stuff. If the fates are in a bad mood, well, that's it when calamity happens. There was no relationship. There was nothing that you could do. Being a Christian does not mean we are exempt from the problems. We get the same problems. We get the same issues. We wrestle with the same thoughts, experience the same dark pits. Christians still suffer from depression. But I thought you had the joy of Christ in you. Christians can be depressed. I've told you before, and I will always say it as long as I can, I suffer from clinical depression. I take a little pill every day to help my brain function properly. That is my prescription, like, a, like your eyeglasses. I know the dark nights of a soul. I know the deep pit. Depression is something that is very... And I'm not talking about the, the seasonal depression. I'm talking about the broken brain depression stuff, okay? Depression is something that is very difficult to deal with, and the reality is even Christians can be depressed. 
And when you're in the dark pit of the soul, the difference is you choose not to go through it alone. If you don't have Christ in your life, you are in the pit by yourself. But notice what David said in the midst of the pit, but I will trust in you. I feel like you've forgotten me, but I know you're here. I feel like you're far away from me, but I know the truth is your salvation is right here. People without faith try to figure out how to get out of this messy world on their own, but believers have a distinct advantage, and that is Jesus. In Psalm 13, look at 5 and 6 again. But I trust in your unfailing love. That goes against that pit. I rejoice because you have rescued me. I'm still in the pit, but I know you will rescue me. It's already assured. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. I'm not singing lament here. I am praising God. And we need to do what David did. After our complaints, after our uh, requests, look for the patterns, the God patterns in our life. Look at the answers that God has already given you. Look past the problems in the pits and look at his promises. Then you can place your trust in God in a great way. Many times we need to remember the promises of God. It's easy to focus on the problems of this world, but we need to focus on the promises. And there are many times, well, I just don't know what his promises are. Well, the first thing I'm going to tell you if you say that is, we'll read the Bible, and I'll sit down and read it with you. Here are just a few, three promises that God has given us. In Psalm 94, verse 14, the Lord will not reject his people. He will not abandon his special possession. Do you know what this verse says? What is the promise? He's not going to reject you, and you are incredibly valuable to him. There are two promises right there in that verse. We need to hold on to them. Isaiah 41.10, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. What are the promises in this? I am with you, so you're no, you're no longer alone. What else? I will strengthen you. You feel like you don't have enough strength to get out of the pit? Good, because God does. I will strengthen you. And not only will I strengthen you, I will give you what? Victor victory. With his victorious right hand, he is going to give it to you. Look at the promises in there. Matthew 28, 20. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. Right there, be sure of this. You can take it to the bank. A guarantee right there. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That one that one's a hard one to believe in sometimes. Because when you're in that pit, I don't feel God is with me. When I am in that pit, the darkness is crushing me. And I have to go back, and Jesus says, be sure of this. I am with you, even to the end of the age. All I have to do is turn and trust in the facts, the promises of God. When you feel alienated from God, quit looking at the walls of the pit 
Quit looking at the problems around us and turn back to the truths of God, the true salvation that only God gives through Jesus. And remember, God will not leave you. God, God says, I will never leave you. Now, you are free to leave the presence of God. That, that is your choice. He's going to give you that opportunity. But as long as you stay, Satan cannot take you from his hand. Not, no other force could keep you, um, take you out of God's hand. Except you. You can leave his presence. We are free to leave. But God will never abandon us. And with that truth, when we look at the God patterns of him always being there, we're going to see how faith and trust can grow. So when I, I, I was in the pit for a while and I, I went to counseling for it. And it was a Christian counselor. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you need counseling, please make sure it's a Christian counselor. Because they're going to help you with not just good practices, but the truths of God. Okay? So just side note there. But one of the things he told me to do is look past, or look in my past and see the God patterns. Where did God come in? Where did God direct me? Where did God answer? Where did God do these things? And start mapping them out. And you know what I started noticing? He was always there. I wasn't looking at him. How long, God, will you forgive me? Oh, you're right here. It was really, Donnie, how long are you going to quit looking elsewhere? What are the God patterns in your life? I'd like to challenge each one of us to uh, look at your life. It, it's kind of like a testimony thing, but look through and see the God pattern. Where has he directed you? Where has he blessed you? Where have you felt alienated? And then look deeper and see how he rescued you. And then in the midst of another pit, you can pull that out and say, but I will trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice in your salvation because you have rescued me. Let's pray. God, we praise you. We thank you. We thank you that we do not have to stand in the pit. We don't have to stay there alone, that you have promised to be with us no matter where we go. Help us, God. God, I really ask that you help us to see that we don't need to trust in our own strength, our own knowledge. We need to trust more and more in your unfailing love. Forgive us when we don't trust it. And God, if I can, just I want to thank you for, for that rescue you've given me so many times. I want to thank you for the rescue of so many people that I've heard their stories of how you've come into their life, how you've brought restoration, you brought redemption, or you brought peace. So God, remind us of all of that. Show us that we can trust you. And as we come back together to sing one more song, let it be more of a proclamation of what you are to us. Let this be a triumphal sound of that you are our God. And Lord, the problems of this world are going to persist, but we know your love, your promises never end. And help us to live on that, to proclaim that with truth and with power to the rest of this world. We praise you for that. And in your name we pray. Let's all stand and let's sing.